Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Episode 50 of The Blathering. Hey, everybody. I'm Ken Napsock. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for joining me on this journey. Those that are sticking around, it's a lot of fun. Video version, the full video version is up on patreon.com slash catnapsock. Any level of support gets that. Probably start clipping some things out when I feel as though I have something to clip out. I want to clip things out from the show. But that means having to go back and listen to myself. And that's just something I don't do. I've never really done. To my own detriment. You should study it like game film. Study the what you study what you say. I, I I blather. This is this joke started as the ramble. Now it's the blathering, and both titles just absolutely capture the vibe. But I'm happy to sit down and communicate with you all directly, honestly, with a little mess. The floors aren't clean around here, but having a good time. Fifty of these. Celebrate those wins. Celebrate those kind of numbers. You know what I mean? Celebrate it all. Uh, so absolutely, uh, we are here to discuss a lot of things today. But I'll start with this. I'm, I am slightly disgusted at myself, uh, slightly um, disturbed. I, for dinner, had a candy bar. Now, here's the thing. That's not new. If you follow me, that's not new. No, absolutely not Not new at all. But here, it's a, it's a supersized large candy bar. And it's not even one that you get like at a truck stop or on the way out of the gas station or at the gas pump. It's not that. Or that you buy from some... Uh, kids on the street who are hassling you or, you know, just want to, you know, raise money for good causes or whatever the hell they're doing. You know, it's none of that. It's none of that. Uh, Grace and I are part of uh, Imperfect Foods. Would you guys do Imperfect Foods at all? It's 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 that thing where you, you, you order food biweekly and the company steals from the grocery stores or goes to their trash bits. I, I don't understand how it works. It's just it's the leftover food from grocery stores. It's well, how is it? How did it end up in my box? What's the deal here? And it's a great service. Not a sponsor, but we use it. I recommend it. Occasionally, you'll get an odd-shaped zucchini in your box. But let's be honest. When do you not occasionally get an odd-shaped zucchini in your box? It happens. These are things that happen. Uh, so I recommend it. But anyways, they were offering, because it changes. Every time you log in, you're like, oh, I can't wait to get that turkey stick I had last week. Mm, and it's gone. It's gone. And something else is there. And they had these candy bars looked like they were designed like they looked like Wonka bars just big bold bright primary colors on the packaging super sized looks like they were designed by like some weirdo in the old country with indentured servants as his workforce uh, in some old should be abandoned factory that's that's probably haunted the candy bar looked like that so I got it I was I was really excited about that and uh, I, I um, was going to be very diligent and very disciplined in my approach to eating this candy bar, I was going to have a little piece here on a Monday. On a Wednesday, I was going to do another piece. And I did that. But very happy. Monday night, I had a little bit of it. And I played some Fortnite on the PlayStation and I had a good time. Uh, tonight, I had the other 75% of it. It didn't last long either. It, no. It was like an MMA fight and I knocked that candy bar out in the first round. 
and I feel slightly disgusted by it. But I've been here before, and you've all been here before, and, and I, here's where we're at. Here's where we're at with this, okay? With everything going on in the world. And I say that a lot. Almost every episode of The Blathering is, at some point, about me going, with everything going on in the world. But guess what? That's not going to stop, right? And some days you can face it. Some days you can take it on. Some days you're overwhelmed. And some days, whether it's things going on out there in the big picture of the world or the things going on in your life, unexpected losses, uh, challenges, hurdles, unexpected obstacles in your path, unexpected pain points. There's a lot going on. So in those time periods, it is okay to just simply say that disgusting thing I shouldn't put in my mouth, I'm going to grab it and stuff it in there. Put that on a bumper sticker. Grab it and stuff it in there and have no shame about it. And that clearly goes into a lot of areas of life. So that's what I did. So I'm not going to hold myself too accountable for this. I'm going to go do some cardio. I've got to go, you know, uh, I'll have some healthy, low calorie, high sodium soup. I'll do something right. And that's the key. I will do something right again. Today, I took the loss, which in a way was a win. Speaking of loss, I, I want to enter this fray. I'm going to enter this fray. I don't feel compelled. I, don't, I just feel like gonna, I'm going to say it. I'm going to talk about it. Uh, I guess the headline would read, Ken talks about cancel culture. Uh, yes, just a, another man in a beanie with a beard uh, drinking a beer tonight while I record on a podcast. Uh, we'll talk about that later. This is the way IPA made a four-center short about, about it. You can check it out. But here, here's, here's what I, I have to say about this whole cancer, cancel culture debate, which really reared itself, its ugly head into the, the pop culture and public discourse again this week because of Scott Adams, uh, the creator Dilbert. By the way, I got no, I got no snark at Dilbert. And I, I haven't read a Dilbert in 25 years or a Kathy or a Garfield chasing normal, but I have a special place in my heart for that kind of stuff. The old comic strips grew up on far, far side family circle, any of it. It's, it's Garfield, Heathcliff, whatever. I don't, it, it, it's, it's a time honored, you know, tradition out there, um, and I guess in America and the world, I don't, I don't have any negative thing to say about that or him. I know, I, I know he he went full mega. I know there was a lot of stuff in Dilbert that's been troubling for a bit, and it also kind of has been leading to this. I have nothing new to add to him. I have nothing to say about what he said, other than I didn't agree with it. I don't think it was wonderful. <laughs> I sat there mesmerized when someone would just go on camera on a live stream and just say that and not expect what's happening, right? Like you're putting out fire with gasoline to unfortunately for him, bring David Bowie into this conversation, like, which is a great song, by the way. But what do you, what do you, what do you expect at this point when you say that, when you go on the rant? I can't even, I'm not even here to talk about what he said because it's just nuts, but it's, it's his right to say it. And, here, and here's where I go. The, the conversation keeps coming up, right? And it has for the last few years. Uh, cancel culture, cancel culture. And, and I have, I have absolutely nothing new to add uh, uh, on it. I just have, I just, I just get frustrated with it and it flares up like some sort of inflamed, uh, you know, heartburn or something, something going wrong in my kidney. And, and I just, I just I'm punching walls with what's going on. All right. Uh, be, because the the idea that, Hey, you, you know, it's a free country. You can say what you want. How many times I've heard that since I was a kid. And you know what? Guess what? I'm with that. I'm with that idea. 
But this is where I don't have anything new to add to it because I don't think a lot of people have anything new to add to this conversation. It's all pretty simple, right? Yeah, you can say what you want, but Twitter or YouTube or the company you work for or your publisher or your agent, they can decide, well, you said it, but we don't want to keep working with you. I, and I, I, that continues to be fair. As someone who used to sit in a position of authority at a, at a job, which sounds, I hate even saying it, like I had some glasses on and was, you know, watching you, uh, you on your lunch break, get back to work, kid. I, but you know what I mean. Employees had the right to act the way they wanted as human beings, do what they want, um, go to the birthday party that uh, I didn't give them the day off for, or something like that. And 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 uh, and by the way, I tried to, I tried to be like that. But you know, sometimes if 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 after a while you were affecting the performance of of, of uh, you know our job and our duties and et cetera, et cetera, hey, maybe they, maybe we came to a decision where you you are free to do that and we are free to do what we want again. Nothing. I'm not adding anything intelligent or new or insightful to the conversation. I think by now we all get it. I don't think that cancel culture, as it's often used by the people that misuse words and phrases like that, exists. I've seen too many uh, horrendous people do horrible things or just things over the long course of their careers and lives. And not only they're not punished for it, they're thriving. And they're thriving because we as a society seem to support people like that. Uh, the, they, they just tell it like it is, which is always to me translated to you're a clueless asshole. But, hey, you're speaking loud and that means you think people are listening, but you're just the loudest in the room. And we love just look at that. We, 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 we I say we and I didn't, but but we as a country put the biggest example of that kind of asshole on our crown in the White House. In 2016. And how he just speaks like I speak. He just says the things I want to say. Oh, he just, he just, he just speaks the truth. That is shocking. That is scary. That is a scary, scary thing. If that is what you got behind. And many did. And many did probably for what they thought were the right reasons. I am a rural uh, worker with needs and this and that. He's going to represent me and this and that. Maybe that's how you got pulled in. But then look what happened. And that's another conversation we'll come back to. But it's, it's those, those kind of folks who think that cancel culture is real. I can't say what I want. You're going to cancel me. I've had family members say that, friends say that. Ooh, what time? Opposing viewpoints. I guess I guess you tolerant left are intolerant of me. And I've said again, said, I, don't ha- I can be tolerant of you, but not your ideas. I don't have to do that. I don't have to stand behind what you say. You have the right to say it. I can choose to move you from my life. But the reason I get really kind of worked up about this idea is that I am a stand-up comic and I've been off and on since 2003 and it's here to stay now. And this happens a lot when I say that. Oh, yeah. How do you feel about comedy right now, huh? It's tough to say what you want up there. Tough to speak the truth. I got news for you. These comics that you think are speaking the truth, saying what they want, using words, well, it's just words, man. Forget what they've done back in their hotel rooms or in the green rooms. Look about what they've done on stage. Comedy, the history of comedy. There's a, there's a great uh, a book out there by Cliff Nef- Nesterhoff. It's about the history of comedy that covers a lot of this. This is nothing new. Comics complaining about being canceled or comics be- complaining about what they can't say anymore. has been going since comedy started. And it's a sordid history of bad, bad things. So I, I can only speak to and about the comedy world in this regard. I can't speak about cartoonists. 
I can't speak about you at your job. I can't speak about you on, on Twitter. All I can say is, is I see so many times, time and time again, these comics heralded for saying the truth. And by the way, most, a lot of them are really funny. A lot of them are really funny. There's a lot of comics out there who are groundbreaking. They're historic and what they've accomplished and the barriers they broke. And they're really good on stage. I've been in the room with some of them. They're talented people, which why it bugs me and pisses me off even more that this is the path that they do and that they've chosen. And the crowd fuels them on. Society fuels them on. They up there, they're up there holding on. And this is what I mean. Comedy has had this all through its history. And within a within a amount an amount of time, not necessarily a short amount of time, but in an amount of time. Eventually, those comics that held on to that stuff, those performers that held on to the old way, refusing to change, refusing to move forward, refusing to adapt, they became relics. They are signposts on the cultural roadway of what not to do and who not to be. And that's what those comics today are. Holding on to words and phrases and truths Cracking jokes of the transgender community, punching down, all those things you hear. That's what they are. They've already lost the battle. And they're not adding anything new to the conversation. And all they're doing, if you follow their words out, if you put it out, as funny as they might be. And by the way, I, I do not mind a little bit of a boundary push, a little bit of some satire, a little bit of highlighting the dumbness of the way. I, I get it. I've been doing this since 2003 off and on. And most of the people I'm talking about are just wonderfully talented people that are just deciding to side with the wrong side of history. A phrase we hear a lot, but a phrase that is true. Because that's what I'm saying. Uh, whether it's holding on to the idea of uh, blackface, <laughs> whether it's holding on to uh, a comedy that, uh, that is sexist and misogynistic, a comedy that is destructive, a comedy that is uh, uh, coward, uh, cowardless uh, uh, comedy. Um, just the cowardness of, of, of the words, uh, that stands out over there. It's not just simply the context. There's, there's definitely context that I think it's okay to go back. Uh, if you go back to a raunchy 80s comedy, I don't think I necessarily need that stuff cut out or edited. Uh, put up a disclaimer if you want to make, make people feel comfortable. All that means is, to me, when I see a disclaimer, when I hear about a disclaimer put on a, a movie or book, it's not saying anything other than, we acknowledge, number one, times has changed, and we acknowledge that a lot of the stuff you see in here hurt a lot of communities, and that's just the end of it. Well, it's not the end of it, but you know what I mean? But it's like, that, that's, what, that's what a disclaimer is for us, for our part. We, we got it. We're going to put it up there, preserve it as art, pre preserve it as a bit of a time capsule, and hopefully it will stand out. And it does. That stuff, once you're clued into that stuff, it stands out. Even some of my favorite comedies from the mid-2000s. I still laugh, right? You know, you, you, you're by, yeah, you laugh, but then in the back of your head, you're like, nah, we have moved on. We have moved on. And those comics that choose to stand up on stage and hold on to those old ideals, hold on to those words, hold on to the, <laughs> just, I'm just saying, they're just jokes. All they have is what is showing through their bits, fear. Fear of being moved aside, fear of being replaced, fear of other people getting a voice, fear of the other, and fear of 
these other communities, simply rejecting them and their careers and their place in society being swept away. So instead of finding a way, like I always say, do not fight change, do not fear change, find your place in change. Instead of doing that, instead of finding a new truth in this world and how you relate to it, they stand defiantly in a river of change and they don't move and history will not be kind to them. You, you read some of the stuff in the past of comics <laughs> complaining much. For, by the way, this, we're not talking about 1880 into the 30s and 40s and comics complaining about not being able to do blackface anymore. You read it now. I read, the, I read this one book last year. It doesn't just stand out like a sore thumb. It's just, it's mind boggling that this would be the thought. And I think that's, you can in 10 to 20 years, write another book of, of comedy history and, and you'll think the same of these comics now. And so when I see this Scott Adams guy, there's so much more to it than just him saying something. But, you know, in, in one rant, it's, it's what he feels he's putting out there and what the people feel. And again, these comics I've seen have been in the room with them, been in the clubs. Everyone just laughs, man. Everyone just laughs because it's it, sure, why not, man? Why not just laugh at him? What, 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 what a man could just say he's a woman now? What? Everyone just laughs. That's where we're at. That's why change is so hard and why change takes so long. And again, there's some context at times changing. There's things I've said on stage over the years that didn't have a fine enough point to it or were just said because I thought I was trying to uh, laugh about differences. I'm, I'm talking about stuff from like 04, 05 that I used to say on stage. Um, nothing that I'd want you to see, but nothing that other people weren't saying, right? Which is the danger. You look around and go, everyone else is doing it. Can't be wrong. And the thing was, at the time, it's not wrong. Because it's just, uh, it's just what everyone's laughing. All the comics are doing it. And no one's telling you it's wrong. We don't, and didn't know, I should say. We didn't know the pain that was being caused. The problems, instruction that were being caused. That's the thing of it all. I see this on the, the movie discussion world side. The way in which you discuss a movie, the way in which you uh, break apart a movie, the way in which you say you don't like something is not to be taken lightly. It's not just fluff. There's never just jokes. Now, there's things that you can do that are just meant to be funny, meant to entertain. I'm, I'm putting some video game clips up uh, on YouTube shorts and stuff right now. They ain't high art. They're just something I'm having fun doing. Occasionally, I put a dig in there. They are just kind of fun bits. But even in that... I'd like to think I'm smart enough to know that I'm just, I'm not just putting casually anything out in the world designed, subconsciously or not, designed to hurt someone else in that regard. And it's, again, it's a fine line with comedy. Uh, if I go to a grocery store and there's a, there's a nice old lady in front of me uh, uh, writing a check in 2023, which occasionally happens, yeah, I get a little mad, right? I get a little patient. It's, it's, what's that David Wallace, uh, what's his name, the, the, the long essay, the water thing? It, it, yeah, everyone knows what I'm talking about, right? 
I don't know her spot. I don't know. I'd like her to change and get a debit card. But how you choose to talk about that, how you choose to react to it, I fail, I fail at it often, but how you choose to talk about it is, is important. If I was constructing a joke about that now, and I have made a joke about that on stage, it would no longer be about my anger towards her. It would be about her steadfast nature <laughs> to hold on to something in the face of society's changes. I don't know. My point is I'd approach it a different way. These little video game clips I do are designed to be silly and stupid. But if I use them to insert words, jokes, and humor, that isn't just about offense. Yeah, everyone does get offended, right? Uh, the, the rage machine. I actually, yeah, I understand that. A lot of it's performative. Totally get that. Totally get that. Uh, I, I, I think there's, that's one of the reasons I disengage a lot from social media. Uh, you see it all the time. But don't confuse being offended and genuinely being hurt and genuinely feeling like your life is a punchline. I heard someone say that about old, the older movies, the comedies. Going back to watch popular movies, and I, I, I won't quote the person, but they, they, they were saying, hey, it's, it was it's fascinating because I went back, I, I, I watched some, some comedies, insert, insert the comedy of your choice, that I used to love and I used to laugh like everyone else. Then I realized that my, <laughs> my very existence was a punchline. Who I was as a person was a punchline, just a joke for the characters in the movie to make. And I think that's where it gets, uh, to me, it's, it, it, it's, it's more hurtful, right? That's just, that when I said earlier, that's just the way it was. Uh, I'm in a, a comedy club or, or doing a comedy show in 2004 and we're all just saying things. We're all just using words. We're all thinking it's just jokes because everyone in the room did think that. But we were, I mean, oodles of comics. We were using someone else's very being to get laughs. To not build them up, to not be insightful about it, to not say anything new, to just laugh at them. And I saw this uh, person tweet this out, and, and, and they weren't, and again, they weren't saying it as get all the movies off the shelves, edit them all out. They were just going, wow, you, you just, to look back now and realize that my existence was a punchline so many times over, whether it was a joke, a character, um, a bad uh, caricature of, of, of who I am. All that kind of stuff. That was eye-opening to me. And that's what I look at some of these comics. I'm just entertaining, man. I'm just telling jokes. And the crowds are laughing. It's, it's a hard thing for comics to get. I've been, I've been out of the clubs in L.A., been on the road, or I think it was in Vegas one time, and just watching a headliner kill. And some of the jokes were, you know, hey, the differences between us type of stuff that can be actually pretty funny, can be presented in a way that was hilarious. And a lot of his jokes were hitting like, like that. I, I honestly don't have that problem. It's when that needle goes over and you know when it goes over. And everyone's just eating it up. His jokes are not building up. They're destroying. It's hard for comics because comics are shaking the fist at... Uh, at the things that we can't quite shake the fist at, right? They're, they're shaking their fist at the powers that be. But so many of the comics don't realize that they are the ones who are the powers. They're the ones in the driver's seat. So many comics. And this just natural reaction to feel as though, oh, you can't come after me. 
Because of this word, I said. All I said was this word. Why did you give that word so much power? Not, not questioning for a second what they are essentially standing up for. That's the thing with this, this, this cartoonist guy, this Dilbert dip. Because he's trying to, well, a lot of people are, you know, when you actually hear the context of what I'm saying, a lot of, I've seen a lot of tweets. Well, when you listen to what he's saying, what are you defending? What are you actually defending? I hear that my friends talk about uh, their concept of free speech. Can't wait for Elon Musk to buy Twitter, I heard a few people say. He's got to really uh, stand up for free speech. Okay. I don't necessarily think he's done that. I think this has been a surreal, practical joke on us all. And it's been destructive at times. But beyond all that, beyond all that, what are you standing up for? Again, not here to censor, not here to take away the First Amendment, right? But if you go to a comedy club and you drop in, not an appropriate way, say, a whole bunch of N-bombs, you have a right to say that, I suppose. The club has a right to say, not here, not anymore. But when that club takes you out of the, of the building and you or your fans fight the club on this or say, cancel culture, I understand how you feel you're standing up for this First Amendment right. You're standing up for the Constitution of the United States of these Americas. I understand that you got this big noble cause, but I'm asking you, what are you trying to preserve? Is that how you want to use your free speech? It's your, it's your right. That's the question I'm asking. Is that what you want to use all of this for? <laughs> it's like the great Kevin Smith joke of trying to explain the internet and, and moviepoopshoot.com in uh, uh, Jay and Silent Bob. You know, explaining the internet is, you know, this great power, I'm paraphrasing by this point, of course, but this great power uh, people created just to talk shit about movies. Like, is this what we're doing with it? You're on stage, people watching. And you're going to hold on to something that's potentially destructive, potentially hurtful, simply because you want to hold on to the right that you can say it. Meanwhile, the party, the political party and the political groups and the followers of these said parties and said political group are out there bemoaning cancel culture and woke culture, your woke agenda. Another phrase that they don't, I think, fully <laughs> just become a parody of it. And these are the companies that tell you to don't go to Starbucks because they say happy holidays. These are the companies that uh, I, I was raised in cancel culture. I was raised in cancel culture. I survived. I want, I want like a letterman's jacket. that I, I survived the satanic panic where I wasn't allowed to see gremlins. I was not encouraged to play with my He-Mans. I was never allowed to touch Dungeons and, Dungeons and Dragons. Because that and heavy metal music, particularly Ozzy Osbourne, were sending kids straight to hell. Right? Right? The original cancel culture. I emerged from that. That is truly a shutting down of other perspectives, of, of other experiences, of just ignoring the truth. Right? Well, you know why they created the Smurfs. 
I was sat down to have that explained to me. You know why they created the Smurfs. They're little devils. They're demons. They're trying to get you on board with Satan. So we can't watch that. Can't have that out in our house. Can't have that in our lives. And those are the people so often holding on to destructive words, destructive choices. What is so hard about understanding the pain and plight of others? And you don't have to comment on it. You don't have to do jokes on it. You can't just go on stage. You can't just go on your YouTube channel and talk about other things. But this is what you're choosing to do with it. This cartoonist, this Dip, Dippert, hey, that was, that was a zinger. Uh, sorry about that one. He's trying to talk about a racial divide. He's trying to talk about tensions. I think there's some reality to that, right? I think that's something we are experiencing and have been for a few hundred years. So, all right, great. And he's saying, I was trying to be hyperbolic and it, 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 it wasn't high satire. It wasn't high class satire, i tell you that much. But all right. You want to speak upon it? And that is what you used? Your pulpit? Your platform? Your place? Your brand? That is what you used it for? And you want us to stand up for that? You want us to feel bad that every person in your professional circle, probably in your, your, your personal circles, have, has moved away or dropped you? I've done a lot of reorganizing in my own house over the last couple of years. Friends I'm not as close to anymore. Things and I don't do and aren't involved with and things, people I don't work with anymore. Shows I don't go on anymore. And it's probably puzzling for a lot of folks. You should all take care of yourself. You should all have uh, that self-care, right? We all got to move on. And I ain't perfect for everyone in my life, right? Some people have had to move on from me, I'm sure, right? What's that saying? Your your Twitter profile is the one that someone wants to hate the most, right? We all have that, right? Totally get it. Totally get it. But from my point of view, I think a lot of people in my life struggle to understand why I've stepped aside and it is because time and time again they make the choice to hold on to their own past to hold on to a society in which they are entrenched in power and they feel as though they're doing good they feel as though they're helping but really they're standing on the wrong side of history and that's your place to stand but I'm no longer going to stand with you I don't have to just like you don't have to stand with me so that's what I think about when I see this stuff. That's what I think about when I see this conversation. Now, luckily, a lot of people around me aren't defending Dilbert here. But it brings it up again. And it brings it up again because this is one of the things I was saying earlier. Every time someone found, finds out I'm a, com I'm a comic in a group setting, party, and I don't go, I don't walk into rooms and go, hey, everybody, stand-up comic is here. Zinga. But if it comes up in conversation... Oh, you do comedy. That's great. It's great. You probably just, probably just hate, hate this cancel culture in, right? It's the death of comedy. Comedy's under attack. I've heard that time and time again. I really honestly have. 
I don't know how to let them down easy. I don't know how to not embarrass them and try to preserve a little bit of their dignity. But I, I just got to say, nah, nah, words matter. These jokes do matter. What are you trying to communicate? You have a right to do whatever you want. But we do not have a right to sit and take it when you continue to hurt and harm. When you continue to divide. When you continue to just not have simple human decency. Because you just want to say some words. You just want to ask some questions. And you just want to tell some jokes. Enough already. Enough. Let's take a quick break here. Let me come back. I'm going to drink some beer. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, here we go. Taking the show home. And I'm drinking This Is The Way IPA. I just, I, so I said, I did this four center short. I was in, you guessed it, 7-Eleven. I was in 7-Eleven. And this Long Beach... Beer Lab is the name of the company. Not a sponsor. God bless them. I imagine it's a bunch of homegrown beer bros sitting around going, hey, we like Star Wars. That Star Wars stuff's pretty cool. That guy goes around shooting things and he has that pet. Let's uh, let's make a beer about it. Which, by the way, I love. You don't have to love Star Wars the exact way I do. Love it the way you do. Pew, 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 mother bleepers. So they come up with, and I'm going to show it here in the video on the Patreon-only video side. I'm not, I'm not clipping this one out. It is the most unofficial, unlicensed Star Wars beer I think I've ever seen. The Mando, he's got his, he's got his helmet on, but it looks like he has a combination of Princess Leia's hair buns, two seashells, and centurion wings. It's not even close. And it's probably intentional, right? Oh, no, it's not Mando. This is Bando, an original character that just looks similar. The Grogu, though, is tremendously accurate. And the Baby Yoda is Baby Yoda. So that makes that theory not hold some water, I guess. Not hold any water. Not hold any, any beer. I don't love beer. Never have. I swear it's because I didn't go to college. Uh, I did two years of community college. And uh, Alan Hancock Community College, Santa Maria, California, and studied film production and screenwriting and audio production. But really, all I did was go to Toys R Us and buy Star Wars figures. And then I got my radio job and I left. I did finish it. I didn't like leave in the middle of the semester. I finished the two years. I got some sort of certificate. I never went to the front office to pick it up. It's probably still filed away somewhere in a filing cabinet there. And um, so I didn't even have like a AA or anything. I had, I had a certificate of completion. You showed up for two years. Way to go, sport. Uh, I started my radio career, which obviously was going to send me into, you know, fame and fortune um, easily. Um, and I wish I, I wish I'd paid, going back, I wish I paid more attention, especially like the audio production class. 
because I always struggle to get my audio just right. From level levels, crispness, clearness, it's never perfect. It's no, I'm never happy with how any of my shows sound and haven't been since 2013, which is good because if you go back to some of my first four or five episodes of the Knapsack Files, I shouldn't have been happy with the sound, and I wasn't. And I've kept fixing and tweaking and getting better, get better gear and watching videos, and I'm still not perfect. I tweak too much. But anyways, I had an audio production class because I, I thought, this is even then I thought, I'd love to be a screenwriter. I'd love to be George Lucas here. Um, they'll never make other Star Wars films. Well, I heard there's some prequels maybe coming, but uh, probably not. So I want to make my, own, make my own stuff. And then I uh, discovered that wasn't really where my heart was. But I was also thinking, I love music. I should be a music producer because, I, I, you know, I'm going to try to teach myself guitar. I bought a tambourine. I'm writing song lyrics, which I still have. I still have binders of shitty poems and song lyrics in my storage I'm going to dig out soon. And, you know, just who knows? Maybe there's some gold there. And I just again, I have to go back and see it with a, a new eye 30 years later. Uh, anyway, <laughs> it's going to be embarrassing. Um, yeah, so uh, I, I took this audio production class and I didn't. Here's the only thing I learned. The only thing I remember learning. I was so intimidated with everything. The boards, the sound, the words, the tech. I was just so intimidated. I just, it was a good teacher too. And he looked like an audio engineer teacher. He looked kind of like Kenny Loggins with longer hair and a beard. Probably played in a Kenny Loggins wedding cover band. The only thing I learned was that the Beatles, more specifically John Lennon, is credited on record as creating flanging. I believe how, I believe it was. Flanging, which is where you, like, you take a reel and you like kind of squish it, you know, and the, and the music, the tape, kind of bends and it makes a specific sound. I think they, they used it probably on Revolver or something like that. And it's like, that was kind of the first time. Lennon probably was tripping his gourd off and was like, you know, hey, let's squeeze this thing. That's the worst Lennon I've ever done. I've done some decent Lennons. Yoko and I doing this for peace. That's not even, that's not even, I could do a George Harrison. I'd be quite prepared for that eventuality. No, okay. Oh, Paul McCartney here. I'm ring okay, we're gonna stop. Um, that's the only thing I learned from the class. It's the only thing I learned from the class was that the Beatles created that technique. That's the only thing at the time, my hair down to my shoulders and a beard like Lennon in the summer of 69 or a little bit McCartney in the spring of 70. That's all I needed. And I just didn't pay attention. So all that to say, that long story, that's why I think I don't, I, I, I didn't pick up a taste for beer. Also, I was told that if I drank alcohol, my chances of going to hell were, were going to increase. That's just kind of not, and that's not just, that's just not parents. That's just kind of who, who I, how I was raised and what I grew up in. We don't do that. That's of the devil. Now look, drink in moderation. Alcohol's not the greatest thing health wise, uh, mental health wise. You know, I'm not here to defend it. I'm just not here to attack it. But I'm, beer is never something that hit me. When, when I first started drinking, 26 years old, hadn't had a sip of alcohol, to an annoying point, to an annoying point. This is my thing with rules. I am a rule follower. But when the rules would constrain you to the point of, of you refuse to help other people, refuse to connect with other people, I, 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 I talk about how I don't, I don't, I do not jaywalk. I do not jaywalk. I've gone out of my way while other friends of mine have run across Sunset Boulevard. I've gone out of my way to cross properly and safely and safely and get to the place where we're going. 
I have no problem with that. I stand by that. I'm not the asshole. You are. Jutting out in the street, stopping traffic, putting everyone else at risk because you want to get across to Barney's Beanery faster makes you the asshole, not me. But if someone across the street was having some, say, a medical emergency, and I didn't run across or find a way to get across and instead walked two blocks up cross street because that's the rules, that's the rules hurting you. This is also how to explain the fall of the Jedi Order during the Star Wars prequels. Yes, I have made this connection on Force Center before. Same with, again, now if you're an addict, an alcoholic, that's a different conversation. You can't have a sip, you can't have a sip. That's not a bad rule, right? Because you're helping and saving and protecting yourself and perhaps others in your life or others you don't even know. All right, that's fine. But for me, this, this rule, don't drink to excess. Don't drink at all. I was, wasn't given a choice. It was just, this is the way. Hey, this is the way IPA. Which also is part of the Mandalorian story. Raved by someone who dealt in extremes for the sake of protection, for the sake of this is, this is the way as a survival for Dinjar and the armor and that coven. Coven? Coven? Covert. They call it covert. I'm sorry. Sorry, witches. We're finding as the show, not to get into Mandalorian Star Wars talk for the, but as the show goes on, what was what kept him safe, it taught him a lot. The way that he was instructed to, to follow and go on and the path to take ends up being constrictive for the Mandalorian. So was it with me. So was it with me. Don't drink. Don't have uh, premarital sex. Um, not just that it's a sin, but you might get someone pregnant. And then, you know, certainly that's it. You got to have the kid no matter what. All that stuff, you know, all that stuff. I do all, I do believe some of it maybe comes from a good place. Well-intentioned. Just like the Jedi Order is at its heart. The tenets of the Order, tenets of the Jedi, the beliefs, their mission statement absolutely comes from a good spot. But when you hold on to those rules to the point that it becomes destructive, not just for those around you, but for you, that's part of the problem when you're not doing what you're originally set out to do. So it is with this. By not engaging in an alcoholic lifestyle, by not engaging in normal human relations, I was affected by it. It was designed to protect me, to keep me safe, to not get a drinking problem started, to not get anyone pregnant, to not catch a disease, to not give a disease to anyone else, to not get in my car and crash and kill someone. All things I, okay. But I adhered to it so much that I destroyed relationships around me. I destroyed potential personal and professional connections that could have meant more to me. I pushed away people who simply just wanted to talk and hang out with me. Because I often would say, oh, yeah, I can't drink. I failed to have normal functional relationships with uh, women because I was so afraid of what might happen if, 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 if I went on a date with one. 
if I entered into a relationship with one? What if she wanted to have sex with me? What would I say? What would I do to God? I'd be locked in this marriage forever then? One night only forever? Like, and all those big issues aside, what ended up happening is I, I did not form the proper way to communicate with people, the proper way to connect with people. It took me a long, long time. I was hindered by that. Hindered by this fear. So much of what I talk about the show is about fear. I know this started as a conversation about drinking. I'm going to get to it. Why I don't like beer. But I think it ties back to other things. Comics on stage attacking communities. It's fear. It's a fear of being exposed for not understanding their story. It's a fear because you think you don't have a place on the stage anymore. Taking uh, books out of school, the true cancel culture, not teaching the actual histories. By the way, I don't Critical race theory, I don't even talk about that. I don't care about that. I mean, I care, but I, that's not what I mean. I'm talking about the base bones of you don't learn the full side of history. You don't acknowledge it and you don't move forward. That's a fear. And a lot of times when you're faced with that, there's there's a shame, like there's a pain, right? There's a embarrassment. I, I had someone correct me uh, the other day on something I said. Uh, just a, a, a phrase that was uh, we've all used, and, and they were like, "Hey, I just, I just want you to know this is you, this is where that comes from." You know, there's this thing of embarrassment. Oh, what do you, what do you say? Are you saying I'm a horrible person? You know, it's not what they're saying, but it's like you have that reaction. So this is what happens, I think, to a lot of comics, big comics. They say something stupid. They say something hurtful, and maybe they didn't intend to because for years, for decades, they got away with just being themselves. And now someone's going, hey, you're hurting someone. And there's shame and there's fear in that. There's a lot of uh, fear that was instilled into my upbringing just from society. Again, this isn't a parent-specific uh, uh, parent conversation. It's just what I was raised in and the community I was raised in and the people I was raised in with and the church I was raised in. Because again, I, I don't think the problem's God. I don't think the problem's Jesus. I, I, I don't even think the problem is those attending the church. I just think it's this, uh, this, this, this fear that runs a lot of it. Because then it just it affects you in that way. I laugh, I, you know, when Mike Pence was, I, I, I call my wife mother and I don't uh, stick around in rooms with just me and a woman. Like, I, I understand he feels that that's the right way to do it. I actually will say this. I got where he's coming from because that's what I was taught as well in general, again, by no one specific. And I mentioned this before, but and I was starting to go into it on an episode before, but that kind of uh, thinking, that kind of thought um, certainly takes away a lot of agency from that woman in the room as if that woman's like, well, I'm alone with Mike Pence. It's time to fuck, I guess. Like, you're taking a lot of personal agency away from her. Um, well, if I'm alone in that room, I, I just give in to my urges. What are you saying? That she has no choice in her own urges or what to do with your urges? And that comes from a, um, it's all fear-based, right? I just don't know what I'll do. I just, I don't know. Taking away that angle of it there. 
I think the greatest advice when I finally late in my life had sex that I, I told, uh, I told someone from my old church and they were like, ah, right, yeah, great. Yeah, God doesn't necessarily care about that. He cares about your heart. Same thing happened when they, when I started drinking again, drinking's not for everyone. I don't, I'm not encouraging anyone to everyone out there to just do a cocaine, a mix with fentanyl and beer. I'm not, I, this isn't what I'm coming. I'm just saying by leading with fear, I shut off so much of life. Standing, standing outside a, a friend's house, two people saying, Hey, uh, you want to get, you want to hang out? Uh, we got some beers and we'll be just, kick around some sketch ideas and, and, and we'll hang out these two people. And I wanted to, so I enjoyed both of them. Good people. One I had a crush on, but I ran away. I literally said, Oh, I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. I got in my car and ran away. Cause, uh, I, what, how would I explain this to, to the people that loved and cared about me that I hung out and had beers. I had beers with somebody at their house. And one of them was a woman who I thought was cute. So I said, no, I turned down that proposal, which really was just turning down a friendship. One of those persons, one of those people went on to become a head writer on Saturday Night Live. And one of them went on to become one of the biggest stars. I'm not saying my career would have been changed, but I had I stepped in that house to have beer. I'm just saying I could have been in a different spot with them as friends, them in a different spot with them professionally, and just a different spot as a person. But instead I said, oh, I don't drink. I don't drink. I'm, I'm afraid if I do that. I'm afraid if I live, uh, what if I take a chance? What if I connect with someone? I don't know what to do. Oh, no, I don't know what to do. So I'll run away. Fear. Now, all, all that to say, I don't like beer, but I'm enjoying this. This is the way IPA. The first drink I ever had at 26 was a strawberry daiquiri made for me by a woman who at times I was alone with. Oh, what would God say now? And it grew from there. I started then to go into rum because it was an easy one. Rum's an easy drink. And now I'm back to that because my body has said, you need an easy drink. And that's where I'm at. I'm not perfect. I don't have all the insights. I don't have anything even new to the conversation to add out in the world. I just have my conversation. I just have my perspective. And that's all you have out there as well. So hold on to your perspective, learn, challenge yourself, try to see the needs of other people, try to understand where they're coming from, try not to vilify as quick as you can, but also when it's time to cut and run, when it is time to look at someone and say, you can choose to say that, but not around me. That's okay. I'm Ken Napsock. Thanks for listening to The Blathering. Go follow me on Twitter and go YouTube and subscribe and get some shorts and go watch me on Twitch. And if you want to get the full video version of this, you go to patreon.com slash catnapsock. And I'd appreciate your support as I try to do a lot of wonderful things with the time I have left because now I drink. And who knows what could happen? See you, friends. That's the blathering. Mm-hmm.